This episode of the Cinema Sideshow podcast isn't pre-recorded, believe it or not. Wait, Zeke! What? I have a special bulletin. This is a pre-record. Yeah, what? look, Perry needs to get to Italy before it gets too bad. This has to be pre-recorded, Zeke. This I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. I'm we sorry. promised only three. I know. We have to do this fourth one. I'm sorry. Well, where is she? Uh, I, I don't know, but... I'm in Italy! Oh, there, she's right there. In Italy? Yeah. This is an amateur. I'm out of here. How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 65. Oh, man. What are we doing? We're 65. We're almost eligible for the pension. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we're not already? Nah, it's 67 in Australia. 67. Oh, How are you, Jake? Very close. I'm pretty good. I'm not that. I'm not at the pension level yet. No, you're not. Thank God. But we're here. We're ready. And we're actually talking about youth on this episode rather than pension ages. Oh, youth. But we can't do it alone. No, we're, we're capable of talking about a lot of crap together, Zeke, but not <laughs> this, necessarily. Uh, you die. Why you die? We might as well introduce our guest of the week. Ah! Hello. Oh, no. Perry's back. I'm back. Perry's yes. back. She loved her so much. Couldn't get Princess rid of her. Bride. Yeah, I know. I couldn't she... get enough of the boys. Although... Vice versa. And vice versa, yeah. As Fair said enough. by our disclaimer at the start of the episode, this is a pre-recorded episode because yeah, we're under the assumption... One. That Perry yeah. is not going to be here. When... Well, we don't know that yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like the word under the assumption. I like that. Um, may or may not be, but yeah. Well, yeah. at the time of this recording, Zeke Perry, won't. where on earth are you going to be in oh, the no, world? I, I don't know. I'll be back by now. Oh, I'll you be, will? Yeah, when this one comes up, yeah. I'll be back. Yeah, wow. you, you bullied us into doing I'm sorry. one extra pre record. Because <laughs> we like, promised three. Where in the world didn't... is Carmen yeah. Santiago? But it's Perry Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know. I might be in Europe. I might be here. Who knows? Yeah. It's the yeah, future. That's, that's cool. We'll just bring you back on another one. Sure. And you'd be yeah, like, I'll Skype myself You in. can pretend like yeah. you went to Italy. <laughs> yeah, I'll just speak in an Italian accent and just, uh, yeah. No, that's awesome. You I like that. it. You I can like tell it. us like what you thought Italy mm. was like. It- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Depending on whether you go or not, oh, it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I spent my six months in a quarantine chamber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It was very comfortable, See, yeah. in the face of a pandemic and fear, it's always good to laugh at it. We like having a little laugh here on the Cinema Sideshow podcast, you know, but it's good to wash your hands and stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, please, and stop stealing the tissue papers and the toilet papers. I, you know what, Zeke? This could be our final episode of the show. We could all be dead by we next week. We could all week. be dead. Or your listeners well, could be dead. Let's go back to yeah, a we're gonna, higher Yeah, we're going to lose our listenership. Um, let's oh, let's no. keep it... Uh, we're talking about youth today, yeah, which I think is youth. good because I'm younger than both of you. So well. it's good to get a perspective on that. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, my heart. You guys are old. You guys are old. Yeah. Why, no. why is she on again? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we have got a director's corner for you later in the show. Yeah, boy. Um, with one Greta Gerwig. Uh, which we would have... Uh, one and only. Yeah, one and only. And um, that's going to be very exciting, as we told you guys last week. But before we get to that, obviously, because we can't do our weekly update, instead we're going to tackle another unique topic like we did back in those 50s pre-records. 50s. Back uh, in our 50s, Perry. But Oh, right. That's how we are. You were um, Jake, reaching the... retiree. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, what is the topic we're covering today? Uh, so this week we're looking at coming-of-age stories, but specifically our favourite of coming-of-age stories. Yeah. 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 So um, Everyone's got three. 
we'll go in a, I guess we'll just start with our special guest and maybe go in a clockwise direction. Um, The audience can't tell who's clockwise or not. No. Okay. Well, we'll go around the (laughs) table. That's up to you to decide. You can draw a diagram (laughs) later if you like. Yeah, it's a little drawing activity while you're listening to the The instruction was more for the people in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, That's a good point. Visual exercises are always good on an audio platform. But, But for the audio, we'd go Perry, me, then Jake. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, starting with our third favourite, and then moving in. So slowly. that's me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant I was the third favourite person here. Oh, no, no, no. Your third <laughs> oh, favourite. Thanks, thanks, Zeke. I'm your favourite. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I love me more. Um, wow, that's uh, mean. Uh, so, okay. no, so right. Perry. I might uh, put my hand up and say that none of mine are going to be in order of any. No. Oh, okay. I'm not okay, going to put mine well, in an order. No, I'll, so, yeah. play, I'll play the game. I'll, I'll do oh, okay. your three favourite. Okay. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I will, because I listen <laughs> to the instructions. <laughs> No, that's cool. Uh, Jake, Jake's at least got three for us he'd like to talk about. So. I should do. Um, so, Perry, what's what sure. would be your third favourite if you could... Um, okay, well, or, or I will... one s- of. Yeah, no, I will start off with... Um, oh, I'm just going to steal it, just uh, if anyone else is going to take it, but yeah, Perks of Being a Wallflower is probably my third favourite. Sorry. <laughs> but why? Well, okay, I read the... No- I read the... I read the the novel after I saw the film. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, the film the, the film was great. I thought the soundtrack was really beautiful and it was just... I think it came at a really good time in, like, early uh, 2010s history, yeah, I think. What 2011, was it? I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, 2012, I think. 2012. I think. Sure, yeah. So um, I think that came at a really interesting time. I was 14, 13 at the time, and I think that was really interesting, you know, mm-hmm. because it was all about, like... Um, <sighs> partying and stuff. Well, sort of but hits I was the right the age demographic. Yeah, some of the time. stuff that I was never going to experience in high school. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was a big nerd. No, I just wasn't... Um, I didn't like going outside. No, that's fair. Yeah, still so don't. So you just sort still of don't. was a way of putting yourself in that sort sure. of... Sure, yeah. No, I love the characters. Um, acting's good. Emma Watson still can't do an American accent, as I said in Little... I didn't mind it. In Little Women... I said that as well. Uh, well we can, oh, you did. You did say that. Yeah. You can touch a little bit on that when we talk about Greta Gerwig in our director's could corner. Do. Yeah, no. Um, but no, Ezra Miller is great. Um, <laughs> what's that That other kid's name? Anyway. Oh, it's um, good. The it Flash. Was... The Flash is in that movie. Yeah, Ezra Miller. Yeah, Ezra Miller. Who was the other kid you were struggling with? The main name? character. Oh, right, right, right. Um, what's his name? Doesn't matter. I anyway. feel like we can get that up very quickly. Doesn't matter. Anyway. Doesn't Logan matter. Lerman. That's one. How'd you get that? Fu- I had it on my phone already. Thank you, Zeke. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but no, uh, I think it came at a really good time for me and for everyone else. Um, really good book. Um, very touching, very heartwarming. Um, yeah. Cool. 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 Right. Well, over to me. I would definitely throw Boyhood in the Ring. Nice. Um, mm. So, film done by Linklater. There are going to be two Linklaters in this, my three, oh. um, just to tease it. School of uh, Rock, School of Rock, School of Rock. It's not going to be School of Rock. <laughs> but Why boy, not? Boy, uh, <laughs> I've never seen School of Rock. Ah! That's the blacklist. Get out of here. Oh, goodness <laughs> me. Glad you backed away when you made yeah, that noise. I know. I've got to um, kill you, your, our listeners but, um, the headphones. Yeah, no. Uh, Boyhood, obviously, was kind of a cinematic feat that did get recognised for sort of following a child's literal uh, journey into manhood and sort of the story and the filming taking place over a 12-year period, 12 I think years. it was. And it's a pretty awesome... Uh, it's just such an emotional... It hits every sort... And it, the best part about Boyhood, I think, is it doesn't necessarily just focus on the boy. It's 
the ripple effect and how it affects the dynamics of the family. Mm. Well, uh, the, the mum's such a strong character in that as well. The sister's a prominent character. I mean, I mean, Ethan, Ethan Hawke as the dad yeah. is equally as important in that story and sort of plays a kind of a likeable but not necessarily the best father figure. Like, he doesn't play a negative father well, he's, figure. Well, he's the father through divorce has been sort of... Uh, the hand he has with his with both his kids has sort of been stretched out, but you see the maturity as mm. he grows up, almost along with his son. So yeah, and it's that got that really good emotional aspect and sort of uh, the things I like, and I'm going to touch on it with the second film especially, is I love how Linklater touches on sort of masculinity in a coming-of-age film, which something that... I think definitely in more contemporary film history is is kind of shied away in the coming of age genre, especially if we, as you know, the film we're going to be talking about later on in the show, doesn't touch that. There's not enough of those, like there's not as much of a balance now. And I know it's because obviously there was, you know, twenty, thirty years. You know, you got films like The Graduate, mm. uh, which you know back in the sixties was talking about. Um, you know, sort of that young coming-of-age masculinity thing. But definitely more in contemporary history, we don't tend to look at young men um, because of just sort of the, the you know, it's got to be evenly spread out. But Linklater does touch on it really well. But I think, you know, he finds a good balance. Like, it's not a glorification piece for men in any way, shape or form. There are a lot of... It's not a shiny, clean film, and I think that's what I like about it. Right. A little yeah. rough around the edges in that way. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. particularly with all of the... How you said, the mother figure is such a strong character, but she goes through five or six partners over the course of the film. Um, so, And each of them have... Each of those male partners pairs a different negative trait, mm. which I, f- I find really interesting. Her last... Without spoiling it, her last scene in that film was, like, such a downer. <laughs> so brutal. <laughs> so brutal. Like, ooh. But it's so relatable, that, too. Yeah, yeah. That dynamic as someone... But the fact that that's the last scene, that's the last thing we see of her, is like, ooh, that's a sting. Yeah. Ow. So over to you, Jake. Yeah. Right, so I picked my three, and hopefully no one snipes. You, Perry, you've got to view up my notes. you better keep away. I'm not going to steal them. Uh, good, because the first one I'm going to talk about is Juno. Interesting. And... I haven't seen Juno since it came out. I've seen Juno, like, several several times, at mm. least, because it's... I love, I love the, I mean, you have that sort of, the the quirky aspect, which I think you could find in a lot of these, you know, contemporary coming of age stories. But I think there was something about Juno, especially that dialogue, that dialogue mm. is just ridiculously good. I mean, but... <laughs> I think we've kind this of... This is one doodle that can't be undid, home yeah. skillet. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think in a lot of... Who says that? That's a uh, very Ju- 2007 thing. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm inclined that. to agree with Perry. Doesn't I actually she? think that this that sort of coming-of-age film doesn't ex- doesn't exist often anymore, that sort of more sharp-witted one. No, well, that's what I mean is, like, in comparison to the ones that we have today where there is sort of, there's a quirkiness to them, but I think Juno takes it to a level that we don't see very often. I feel like it's more delved into, like, nowadays, if you're talking about the 2010s particularly, they tackle more the psychology of a young teen mm. coming of age, delving more into their emotional and their psychological impacts, whereas, I mean, I'm not saying Juno's absence of it, but the character on the surface definitely feels more quipped and more akin to, honestly, coming-of-age films of, like, the early 2000s, where every right. the character's always quite sharp and smart, whereas, like... I feel like in the last decade, it's more been about the plights of their external world. Yeah. There's definitely sort of a... Re- and without getting into Ladybird specifically, there's definitely an argument about the intelligence level 
versus the wit of what comes mm-hmm. out of uh, you know Ladybird's mouth specifically. But yeah, going back to Juno, I think you're right. There's there's definitely a wit, like a, a genuine wit to what she's talking about. But because they have the pregnancy storyline to weave into that, it very much hones into the, the a true coming of age story of like this is someone who's put in a situation where they have no choice but to grow up in mm. the situation, regardless of how it ends. I think it ends very wonderfully, but just the way they approach it and sort of the weird triangle that's gone on with her and the adoptive father or the the approaching adoptive mm-hmm. father. Uh, and, of course, like, even her relationship with her mum is... Well, I guess it would be the stepmom mm. in that mm-hmm. film. Yeah, is uh, yeah, there's just a lot of fun interesting dynamics to tackle in a story like that. And I think they just do it really well where they show her, you know, um, dealing with this pregnancy, dealing with having to grow up quick and and dealing with falling in love, which a lot of these films deal with yeah. one way or another. But I just think, especially because of the time it came mm-hmm. and again, because of the wit of the dialogue and everything that's happening, I, it has a special place in my heart. I think is where I'm going with that. So. Oh, I think that's nice. fair. So yeah. back over to you. Perry. Yeah. I'm going to hit you guys with easy A. Hey! Which, um, I, I said A. I think that was a 2010 film. I've never uh, seen. I've seen it a so few times. Right, yeah. So um, it basically it is shot um essentially from 2010. 2010. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the the beginning it's basically told in retrospect, um, telling a story, um, you know that narrative device that we talked about in the Princess Bride, mm-hmm. um. But yeah, so it's being told in retrospect from uh, the perspective of this girl who is basically doing a live stream, uh, talking about how a rumour started and basically ruined her life and changed everything. Um, So she lies about losing her virginity to this guy and everyone finds out about it and calls her a huge slut and everything like that. And I think that's a really interesting commentary because it was 2010. Obviously, there's been a lot more commentary on uh, female sexuality, slut shaming, everything like that. I think it came out at a really interesting time, but it wasn't recognized as much as it would have been nowadays. Like, mm. I think it had a lot of interesting things to say. It was done in a really quirky, fun way that a lot of these, you know, um, coming of age stories do really effectively um but yeah emma stone is fantastic in it and it's it's got such a warm feeling to it throughout the whole story and everyone is just so um so bizarre but so realistic as well Mm, yeah it's just and the writing's fantastic so it's funny when you were explaining it because you haven't seen it zeke no. So I, I imagine you thinking this is a much darker, like based on no, the picture you gave funny. it. No, it's very funny. I've seen I've seen one scene from it, and it's I think it's is it her singing the song card, in the card? Yeah, the yeah. card scene. Everyone's yeah. seen that scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's very funny and very well written. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, like you were saying, it is sort of a cheeky, mm. fun film considering it's just, the, it's the topic. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a really fun film. And you know yeah. me, Zeke, as a mm-hmm. self-proclaimed capitalist. <laughs> her, <laughs> Coming to running joke now. Um, no, her sort of capitalizing on, I guess, the idea of popularity through mm. the fact that she's easy. She's the easy mm. A, you know, and it's it is very much played for fun and games, and yeah. it doesn't really get that dark ever. Not from memory. Not really. No. No. Well, she sort of takes it into her own hands, you know, yeah. without spoiling. But um... I think that's definitely the the change. Also, I'd like to add to like the last decade in these sort of coming of age films. A lot of them are very dark. 
they get dark pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you touch on things like perks of being a wallflower. Mm-hmm. The, the, the low points for characters are definitely more extreme, and I don't necessarily think every single time tackling extreme uh, situations with sort of coming-of-age characters, it works effectively mm-hmm. or it's done correctly. I mean, quote, I'm literally 13 Reasons of Why is the, oh, the perfect example of a show that <laughs> completely lost any sort of sincerity in its messages because of how yeah, no, stupid it is. That I is mean, not in our discussion today. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so my second one is a film from, uh, I think it's 2000 or 2001, uh, Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous, oh, okay. um, which is a film I adore, and every time I watch it, I, I think I love it a little bit more and more every time. Mm. And it follows a young reporter boy who is encouraged by uh, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman um, into going on this road trip with a band um, and sort of literally on the road his, like, growth as he runs away from home, from his controlling mum, played by, uh... Oh, what's her name? She's your, uh... One I, um... The one I love? Yeah, um... Three Billboards. Oh, Francis McDormand. There, there we go. go. There we go. I needed to say Three Billboards to The get love it. of my life um, with Florence Pugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> who's a very controlling mother, uh, doesn't believe in the power of music, uh, sort of, key, you know, has a son that's... Literally so smart, he's two grades ahead of everyone, so he hasn't hit puberty as quick as everyone else has. Mm-hmm. So when he goes on this road trip, it's sort of this kind of funny coming-of-age film where he sort of starts to find his own sort of centre. And it's a, it's one of the films I 100% want to bring to the show one day. But uh, good. I have not seen it yet. Then so. It is a must-watch for us. And uh, just simply having my girl Frances involved is very exciting. There you go. So we should do that. Um, well, speaking of films that we have done in the podcast in the past, I want to bring up The Graduate as my second choice. Um, Good choice. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just... It's probably the choice. <laughs> it's it's just so excellent. In terms of the coming of age, I mean, like, we, we did that film literally the day that we graduated uni ourselves. Yes. And, Perry, you graduated that same weekend. I did, yeah. So we all sort of had a bit of a, oh, boy, what's moment. going on Ooh. moment. Uh, still yes. going for mine. <laughs> yeah, that never goes away. <laughs> uh, someone asked me, so I'd say, what are you doing for work? I'm like... What, what's that word again? Work? I have a podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, we spent this week just putting this podcast together, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, that, it is my job at this point. Um, no, but the, you know, the idea of... But I love that it doesn't really focus on 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 um, him getting, like, oh, looking for a job or trying to find his place because they establish this is a graduate, but he, didn't, he did like a, a, what was like a bachelor on it, whatever it was, but it was like a general course. Yeah. So he doesn't really have this... Direction. I think they kind of hint that he's some sort of sports yeah, player, a, but he was more there for the sports. Yeah, I think it was like track or something. Yeah. They point out, but uh, I love that it takes a completely different direction. It's all like more of a love triangle, and of course, what happens with Mrs. Robinson, and then what ends up happening with her daughter. And without getting too spoilery, if, if people haven't seen it yet, but uh, that film just takes a lot of cool little detours, yeah. and that they're like, this is awesome because it's just so unique in a lot of ways. Mm. Especially because, you know, 68, I think it was. Oh, for the time, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, a bit of a confronting, like, oh, what's going on here sort of vibe. It's kind of cool to have coming-of-age films, sort of, and I'm sure there were ones before The Graduate, but mm. even to have one in, it just mentioned on this show and to discuss. I mean, we had a whole episode about it, but, um, yeah, like, to know that those sort of types of films were occurring literally... Decades, 50, decades 50, ago. 50 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. funny to think of anything, you know, prior to... 
um, Us John, being John born? Hughes. No. Oh, okay, yeah. John Hughes, like 80s. That's a good, how is it, no one's talked about John Hughes no. yet. <laughs> is that going to be your next one? No. Oh, well, okay. Well, <laughs> that what is might your be next? the perfect segue into it. Yeah, what is your next one then? Uh, well, my next one was going to be a Wes Anderson's 2012 Moonrise Kingdom. Hey! Another, Another previous we've done. episode. There you go. Yeah, so... Um, you weren't invited for that one. No, no I wasn't. No. <laughs> I haven't been invited for uh, 63 of these, but... Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Well, She's just trying to slowly slide I, herself in as yeah, the third just, yeah, of the show. The what, third, what percentage yeah. would you be satisfied at? <laughs> In show appearances. 86. 86%. <laughs> so if we just so flip the numbers around. Yeah. So if you were actually invited to 63 episodes mm. and not invited to two, that'd you might have hit the quota there. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Let's right. go back in time. Cool. Fair enough. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Um, Yeah, I, I think it's such a cute film. It's just shot so beautifully and it just captures that that first childhood love so perfectly. I think mm. it's just so awkward and, and simplistic. And it, it kind of, um, watching Jojo Rabbit, it gave me like Moonrise Kingdom vibes as well. Yeah, that's um, It's just, you know, the complexity of, of children's emotions is just is so gorgeous just to, um, to um, talk about in film. And I think, you know, Wes Anderson's obviously a beautiful like cinematographer or well, director, but it's got gorgeous cinematography and, and the music is beautiful and just everything is so um, intimate in what the characters say, but it's said with that, you know, classic deadpan monotonous mm. tone that there's a distance, but it's, you're so close to it as well. It's just, it's a really interesting juxtaposition, you know, and um, I think it's a gorgeous film. So that's why it's my favourite. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely a fair one. We had a whole podcast talking about Moonrise Kingdom. Did, so yeah. if you'd like to check that out, I'm pretty sure it's like episode 50. uh, 51, I would say. Cool. Sharp, as a, sharp as there, mate. Well, it was in our pre-records. Oh, there we go. So it's in that realm. Um, but yeah, all right, Zeke, well, what, what would you be your favourite coming of age film? <laughs> it's pretty obvious for me. I think um, going back to my boy Linklater. The boy. Um, it's got to be Everybody Wants Some. And mm. this is a, a film that I hounded you to watch, Jake, and you liked it, but I don't think you loved it as much as I did, at least, when you watched this film, uh, Everybody Wants Some. I haven't seen Everybody what? Wants Some. Oh, maybe I made Jack watch it. Maybe it was Jack. It might have been Jack who may watch it. Um, but yes, I would 100% encourage it. From, I mean, it takes place, it follows a, a recent high school graduate, and he's a freshman at a college. And this sort of comes back to... With uh, Perry's first pick with Perks being a wallflower, obviously mm. this is a part of our life that in Australia we don't get subject to fraternities and sororities and um, sort of the coming of age through those sort of, uh, you know, ways of growing up at university and the college lifestyle. And this basically follows the three days leading up to the first day of semester with this and this whole baseball team and sort of the their obsessions with alcohol, sex... But also their underlining sort of need for maturity because they're a very successful baseball team. They have uh, a lot to achieve and a lot riding on their success. But it sort of just follows the immaturity uh, of a young adult and sort of how they need to grow up and understand the dynamics of the world that they're going into Mm. and thus, like, getting the tools to prepare themselves. And honestly, it's one of those (laughs) films that I remember putting on the first time I watched it and just being like, oh... I don't know. I've never heard of this before. 
Uh, it comes back. It was probably the the one of the hidden gems of Netflix last year that I watched. Gotcha. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I think I've watched it maybe five or six times in the last year. It's Ooh. just such a the performances of a lot of very um, and even as Jack says, sort of the casting of making all of these uh, l- people in mostly their late twenties play these early teens almost felt. Well, it definitely felt deliberate, almost like a homage to sort of the 80s coming-of-age films where they often got people that looked way too old to be high schoolers to play high schoolers. <laughs> the Breakfast Club, for one. Watch The Breakfast Club. <laughs> None of them look like they belong in high school. Um, and I like that, and I, I think it's a really cool film that has some real nice moments in it. Um, it's probably one of my favourite rom-coms, too. It's definitely up on both sort of sub-genres, so... Um. Yeah, it's just a really entertaining film, and I would one hundred percent recommend it. I'd recommend all three, like Dazing and Fuse, Boyhood, and I would. Uh, I would hope that the your three favorite coming of age stories you would at least recommend. Yes, <laughs> to people. Uh, now there are definitely some genres you can't even pick free. No, uh, no, I no. like that. I like it a lot. Whole Linklater trilogy for coming of age films. Check him out. He's good. At, he's good at that stuff. He's yeah, right. I think he understands it. But yeah. Um. Well. Uh. Oh, I'm getting a secret coded message. That's a good point. The posters for The Perks of Being a Wallflower and The Diary of a Teenage Girl look exactly the same. Oh. And um, Perry just pointed that out yeah, to me. Yeah, it's a trilogy of, well, obviously, three people <laughs> sitting down um, in, Yellowish front of background. A, in front of a patterned wall. And the title of the film is written in, uh, looks like American looks like Typewriter. The, yeah, the exact same font. I just yeah. realised that. Interesting. Coming of age films. Yeah. But um, we do do have a thing on this show, Perry, where if you want to say something, you can just interrupt us. It's fine. (laughs) It was very subtle. I was just trying to be kind. (laughs) I just pass a secret note. Nah, I'm much more comfortable doing that. Over to you, Jake. Yeah, no. Well, my number one has to be, and this has actually come up in one of my other favourite lists that we've done earlier in the show, Muriel's Wedding. Oh, that's a good one. Not only is it one of my favourite Australian films, it's one of my favourite coming of age films. Look at that. Yeah, a little bit crossover. Well, we are definitely going to do that on uh, a podcast episode. Yeah, I think I, think I need we definitely to have to. It's so good, and like, just I I keep flashing back to scenes of like Muriel when she's dancing ABBA music, and like the endings are so amazing as well, and yeah. like the journey she goes through, and obviously she she wants to be sort of this person who well she idolizes the idea of marriage and like getting dressed in the wedding dress and stuff like that, and. The fact that it's almost sort of, uh, I guess guess that's kind of spoilery, but sort of how she goes about to get some of the things she wants in this film is very fascinating. But I also love her look. I mean, uh, she's kind of, uh, what's the word? Like, it's, uh, I don't even want to use the word like, oh, she's not the traditional Hollywood, like, supermodel. I don't think Tony Collette is. No. No, well, that's the thing. Like, she's not, but like, there's even like this extra, like, there's something about Tony Collette's face, like, and I love her so much, but there's something she's able to mould with that face, especially as Muriel, as that character, that really just sells this sort of naivete. And that's one of my favorite things about it, is just the way she looks and sort of performs. If we did a, a gun of indie film list, mm. like, I'm pretty sure Tony Collette would be in it. <laughs> Tony Collette is perfect in everything she ever does. And um, I'm remiss that we didn't even talk about Little Miss Sunshine, because yes. she's fucking amazing in that, too. Uh, the whole cast is... But that's such an incredible yeah. film. Yeah, um, Mirror's Wedding, check it out. It's on Stan, actually. We'll do. So. We'll put Little Miss Sunshine in the favorite road trip films. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. We'll do that. Well, are there any other shout-outs that we want to give? 
I mean, there's plenty out there. Like, we didn't yeah. even mention, like, we said anything from the 80s, you know, things like people love 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, mm. those sort of things. But Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, mm. definitely. I haven't seen any of those 80s films bar Breakfast Club. I haven't seen 16 Candles. American Graffiti would be one I'd throw in there, yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that came up on the good old Google search before as well, so... First George, that would definitely... first George Lucas film. Yeah, there's so. a bunch that I would. I think I'm going to end up mentioning in our Greta Gerwig discussion anyway. That's fair um, enough. So we'll we'll get to those. But yeah, we we like our coming of age stories here. Yeah, soft spot. I have a soft spot for them. Yeah, for sure. We're yeah. still coming of age. <laughs> Maybe that's why. We're always coming of age until we're dead. Oof, brutal. Um, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Us dying is not what we're watching this week, but no. Jake, what are we watching? Uh, this week of the show, we're watching Lady Bird. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York, world did I race or at least snow. Connecticut or New Hampshire, Sorry, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. Teenager Christine Lady Bird McPherson faces a lot of ups and downs in her relationships during her senior year in high school. Mm. This film was released in February 2018 and directed by Greta Gerwig. Oh, is that the Australian release date? That is the Australian release date. Right. You got it really late. Yeah. Yeah, he's low pretty late. late. Um, obviously, Greta Gerwig is our director's corner this week. Yeah. Uh, I think this was a really good idea. Jake's really excited. I'm really excited. <laughs> I, think, I think so too. And I think maybe 70, we should go for Bombok. Just saying. Just quietly. Oh, okay. Um, just a potential throw out for 70. Not going to spoil anything. But... <laughs> Well, it is interesting you brought him up because um, we could talk a bit about Greta Gerwig first, but I do have a question sort of career-based and around Noah Baumbach, who is obviously who's a very integral partner in her life, both in personal and in fi- as a filmmaker. Um, but, yeah, no, Greta Gerwig, she's had quite a filmography, as it turns out. It's really intriguing, right, like to see someone like her only... Uh, like as as of right now, only directing three features. Mm. Um, one of them a co-direction. Co-directing, yes. And then the only other one that's potentially thrown out there is the the Barbie film. Yeah, that's coming out in twenty twenty two. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, I think it that. I think it really will be exciting. Uh, right. With Margot yeah. Margot Robbie as what? Barbie as the lead. makes oh, so much sense. That's dope. I love that. Is, that. Dope. Um, is it live action or? I think yeah. so. Yeah. <gasps> that's so exciting. Wasn't gonna be what's her face before? Who? It was going to be, um, oh God, who was going like to play, someone actress. else going to play. Yeah, but it was like, who was, who Paris was. Paris Hilton was always like the sort of one that everyone was like, No, but it was play, meant yeah. to be like, who was, who was the actress in Cats again? Ta- what, Taylor, Taylor Swift? Swift. No, no, no. Like, um, oh, what's the one with, um, J- James, what's his face? I'm forgetting all the names today. Let me check. Yeah, no, Rebel Wilson. Yeah, Rebel Wilson. Um, wasn't it her? At one point, it was going to play Barbie. What? No. They were going to no do way. that. Yeah. I don't that was the. You. I think that was the plan, and now they've, they've switched it up. No. They're like, oh, we'll get Margot instead. I'll apologise um, to you next week on the podcast if you're correct. <laughs> but as of right now, I'm going <laughs> I to. I won't. It was her or like uh, one else, uh, someone else, but um, 
yeah, they were going to go a different direction with that one. But I think that was before Greta and, and Noah and that were all involved. But no, what I actually learned, because I've always... Well, interesting enough, as a director's corner, this is our first female director we're doing in a director's corner. Um, which which I, shows how great we are. <laughs> it's tough. 13 years. Uh, it is no, tough, we, yeah. we made a strong campaign on our Oscar predictions video and Oscar result uh, right, po- podcast, yeah. beg my pardon. Yeah, uh, no videos that, from us. Sorry, yeah. that Greta Gerwig uh, did belong in the best cr- director category of last year. Oh, I was Amy Schumacher. That was it. Amy Schumacher. She was meant to play Barbie. Mm. Sorry. Um, we did make a strong case that she should have been nominated for Little Women. Um, oh, for Best Director, yeah. Over someone like uh, Todd Phillips. <laughs> um, <laughs> poor Todd. Get so much Get so much stick. Maybe poor Todd. Yeah. Look at all the awards he's been nominated yeah, for. Yeah, true. Fair Look enough. Look at all the money he's made. He's fine. But I find I do find it intriguing that uh, someone who has had at least off the two out of three films that we could potentially see from her, because mm. Jake, you and I did try and see Nights and Weekends. Yeah, her this. first, her technical directorial debut, and you're right, neither of us had any luck. I went to Fanbase this morning, even they are like, what was that? Yeah, What's going so on? <laughs> but the two that I have seen from her, being Little Women and obviously the title episode of this show, uh, Lady Bird, uh, really good. Both of them are really good, mm. really strong, and there's... I, I, I think I will be talking a little bit about Bombok, but I'm going to keep more on her sort of side of yeah, direction yeah. in this one. But uh, I've I've just really enjoyed her style in the two films that I've seen from her. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting because yeah, when I when I looked at sort of her film, because I knew she wrote a lot of stuff. Yep. She's co-written with Bombok. She's um, obviously acted in a lot of his films. Uh, so there was a big sort of wider range of of talents that she's used other than direction. What I realized is virtually. Every single feature she's worked on, which is about 29, I think, mm-hmm. she has had some sort of acting role in those films. All but the two that she solo directed, Lady Bird and Little Women, mm. which I thought was very interesting. And, of course, out of those out of those 29 roles, she's co-written five of them. And uh, one that I watched in prep, because I know you watched a couple in prep, Zeke, I did. for this episode. We couldn't get nights and weekends. I watched uh, Francis Ha. I also did. Which is... Yeah, well, there you go, the both of us. And that's a film that Noah Bombach directed, but she was a very key player in co-writing it, and she was the lead, she was the, the titular character. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it actually really helped to watch that film, to understand her as a person, and then how she would go on to direct some of her cast in the following films. Uh, I mean, I do think that there is definitely a Venn diagram between her and Bombach in their presentation, and particularly their character deliveries, um, I find kind of similar there's definitely a fluidity to dialogue in both mm. of their styles of direction and i guess technically you can see the roots in her writing because clearly she really likes characters that are constantly uh bouncing off one another um mm. there's very few a, moments there's of, an energy to it yeah yeah of of lulls or long drawn out sort of stares and stuff or at least not without purpose to it it always feels like her films have flow to them, either, whether it's in her writing or her directing, for sure. I can dig that. Um, yeah. You know, if we <laughs> if we take Lady Bird, for instance, and we take the dynamic between Lady Bird and the mother character, their mm. back and forth scenes, and I think the opening dialogue scene in the car is a really good like sort of right. tone setter for her writing and directing ability, sort of keeping two characters in one locked off sort of place, but just watching them bounce off each other. Yeah. And even just seeing some, not necessarily tension, but their dynamic 
is mm. just getting more angsty and more forward throughout. And mm. you're right, in every conversation, not even just the first one, although the first one is a great example. And when I rewatched this film today, I uh, had seen it once before, and I think I think we both watched it on the show. Mm-hmm. So I think for the Jojo Rabbit episodes when I first saw this film, so I talk a bit about then. And for you, I think it was the Parasite episode. Yes. That you talked a bit about it. So it's good to sit down and get our extra thoughts. But um, Perry, as our guest of the show, what's your what what are your initial thoughts on Lady okay, Bird? Well, going off of the dynamic between the mother and and daughter, I think um, well, obviously she's got an amazing you know um. Um, oh, she's got an amazing talent for capturing energetic dynamics, whether they be positive or negative, you know, like with little women, the sisters are constantly talking to each other about family and, you know, love and everything. And they're just constantly just back and forth, back and forth. And it's, it brings out a really warm, nurturing um, energy to it. And with them, whenever Lady Bird and her mother are talking, it's, so vicious you know it's so well it has moments where it's you don't even know why they can stand to be in the same room together Mm. but then you know they turn around and oh no they're just a regular mother and daughter like I think it's a really interesting moment um in the the scene when they're in the op shop yeah and um she's saying oh you know are you tired because if you're tired then you know we can go home and she's like i'm not tired and she says oh i just wondered dragging why because you're dragging, you're dragging your, feet. your feet yeah <laughs> you could just say pick up your feet you don't have to be passive aggressive and then her mom picks up the dress and she goes oh that's amazing you know and they just have that shift it's just like that yeah i think that is so incredible to just capture that um uneasiness between the two the characters. minus one beat in between the shift mm. yeah mm. Nah, but I mean, I mean, it goes again to your point with that first scene where there is a dynamic of that. I mean, in that first scene, there's a, a more gradual shift because they're listening to the radio or the, the, the audio book. Yeah. And they're and sharing then... the same emotion in that one moment and then there's a shift mm. and they're on different levels again. So. But even within that scene, they sort of really quickly established, like, I mean, they're both very headstrong sort of women who would sort of jump at each other with these different feelings. But what I... What I got from that, and I would love to talk about sort of my journey with the film, mm-hmm. having seen it twice now, especially the first feeling I had months back, with understanding that this is a story about those two, and that everything else is sort of complementary, or uh, I don't want to say like a tangent, part of it is, I mean, it does play into the whole, what sort of the film leads into, but learning that it is these two, these are the sort of the most important aspect of the film is the relationship between these two and the fact that uh she's someone who's very much has this uh yearning for this sense of uh independence Mm. that she feels she hasn't earned yet and then you have the mum who's much more grounded the reality punch in the face is like well we're a family who's grounded in this location you know you can't just go off to new york you're not smart enough to go to college uh we're not rich enough to own the big house on the other side of the tracks you know there's all these sort of bounces of reality that her mum faces and always has to constantly reaffirm to her daughter. And I think that's, you're right, it's a great clash. There's still the the underlining mother-daughter relationship. And again, the op shop, the instant switch mm. of, oh, that's a cute dress. But there's just so many other aspects sort of affecting mm. that relationship. So I love that about the film. And yeah. No, I think it's, I really, 
I, I do agree with your point that those two are definitely off of the focal point. And I think that there's a similar sort of dynamic going on in Little Women also. I think the focal points of that are actually... I mean, it's probably more three characters than two, mm. but it's it's mm. Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, and Tim- Timothy Chalamet. Um, and it's their, their dynamic. <laughs> oh and everything else is sort of just decided. I mean, it's fair to say that definitely Emma Watson and the other actress who can't remember off the top of my head who it is are definitely the supplementary sisters in that sort of story. Mm. Um, but um, uh, that's interesting. It's interesting I, when you've got, you know, star power of Emma Watson. Yeah. yeah. And push but, right to the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I like that too because it's obviously it's in Little Women especially it's not the story she wanted to tell. She wanted to focus on that dynamic and it was mm. her interpretation of that movie that has been made four times now. Um, <laughs> three times I think. Um, uh, several. Whereas yeah. in this one, yeah, it's the same thing. It's, you know, there are other characters, you know, there are, there's, um, you know... There's like Lucas Hedges, who we talked about on our Honey Boy podcast. Yeah, and, my boy Lucas um, and show. Beanie. Oh, Beanie. Beanie Field scene. Thank you. Um, who was in the Booksmart episode? Mm. So it's it's really it's kind of funny to see her. She's forever stuck in these high school roles. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they're pretty back to back though. I'm, I'm sure she'll. I really like become like a lawyer or something. Visiting films like yeah, this film. though, because it really is really showcasing how much young talent has really come through in these yeah, last five yeah. or six years especially um we look at i just you know mentioned we we talked about hedges and how good he was and you know beanie fieldstein we loved in book smart mm. so it's like it's really promising the next 10 years i think a film just off the fact that you know look how many good young actors we got coming through yeah that was my takeaway watching it the second time. Like, you're right, because Lucas Hedges, obviously he's in like Manchester, but I've seen all these films, but I didn't recognise him as that guy. And then now coming off Honey Boy, I was like, oh, that's him. And then the same with, you know, Timothy and the same with uh, Beanie Fieldstein, you know. Well, and Saoirse oh, Ronan. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, all the, I was like, oh, wow, this, uh, you're right, a lot of star power in this film, but at a time when maybe... They may not have been star yeah, power. Yeah, maybe none of them were AA actors, but at this point they definitely... On everyone's sort of household name, if you will. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's only a matter of time until they'll get thrown into an MCU film, right? Um, but uh, Florence Pugh, Everyone's... I'll beat them all already. Oh yeah, I've got yeah, right. Um, Everyone's but... learning how to pronounce social Ronan's yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, she's got that song, that jingle, that um, it's on good. A, yeah, on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> but I think you did hit the nail on the head. She likes focusing on Max, uh, a major story with a lot of supplementary stories. And mm. I think both of her directing films that we have seen um, have done that. And the films that she's written, I mean, we both got to see Frances Ha. There's definitely a very obvious uh, story there where it follows her her own character and the dynamic yeah, with her similar, and her friend. Actually, yeah. And sort of uh, how I actually agree. I think there is a lot of similarity with both of those lead characters being mm. these sort of they're kind of arrogant, but you you sort of are rooting for them, but they're also ignorant, but yeah, then they're yeah. also like endearing, and you feel for them. Which I think the only real key difference, and I I, I don't want to segregate you too far, Perry, because I don't think you've seen Francis Ha yet. No, I haven't. Um, no. so. Uh, we're not we're not pushing you out of the room. That's all right. I'll just, uh, I'll just sit here for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I think the only real key difference between those two characters, the one in Lady Bird and the one in Frances Hart, is Frances Hart as a twenty-seven-year-old, so she's about ten years older than Lady Bird is in in the mm-hmm. Lady Bird film. There's a there's a self-awareness to the oh well I'm poor I'm incapable of doing this you know 
uh, while with Ladybird, there's almost a refusal of those traits. It's almost mm-hmm. like, no, I can do these things. And the counterpoint to that is her mum being like, well, no, you can't. And she's like, but I can. And again, it goes back to the, the constant butting heads, but I think that's the key difference there. Yeah. And what I took from Frances Ha is um, how Greta Gerwig's performance and how she turned that performance into direction. Because you can absolutely see performatively how one sort of transferred into the other. I feel like you're smiling right now because you know how smart you sound when you no, say that. But no, no, I'm smiling because it makes me feel happy. <laughs> no, I agree. I like literally can't argue with it because I agree. <laughs> I actually find it funny though that we were like talking about coming of age films at the start of the show, and then yep. we take to this one, which takes it in a different sort of direction. Now we all looked at things like Perks of Being a Wallflower quite positively, um, but this is sort of a change of the time, I guess. Mm. This film doesn't tackle a, a child that's suffering, like, a, a sexual right. orientation. Right. Uh, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Or PTSD. Or, yeah, because, yeah, again, like, in Love, Simon, you're right, it's, it's about a character coming out as gay or yeah. learning how to do that. Um, there's other ones, I think... Some, Edge of Seventeen's the exact Edge same. Edge of Seventeen's mm. perfect example. I think Summer 03, which is probably the worst of any of the films we've mentioned today, <laughs> but that's about a sexual awakening as well, you know. Uh, call Me By Your Name. Call Me yeah. By Your Name, there you go. Uh, Much better example. So it, it's sort of like they. there's definitely that focus on sexual orientation, and that's fine, but this film I think I enjoy more because it focuses on a relationship dynamic between... Uh, I guess I've personally, the more I think about it, the more I enjoy the films that focus on perennial and child relationships. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and I think I really like this one because it focus. I, I know there are actual elements of sexual orientation confusion with the Lucas Hedges character in mm. this film, but um, it's like we said, it's definitely more a tangential storyline mm. rather than, and it all it all leads to sort of. Saoirse Ronan's sort of uh, part of her year and part of the person that she's pushing towards. Yeah, exactly. But, it aids to um, her character more than anything else, really. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's I think that's what I like about this film is they definitely always bring it back to focusing on sort of that mother-daughter dynamic mm. and uh, sort of the... Uh, how you feel for both characters, but both characters also don't make you feel for... There's a really good balance between the mum kind of being a... Like, sometimes some of her lines are horrible. In fact, mm. yeah. she says, you're too stupid to do anything. But then at the same time, some of the, the horrible things that Saoirse Ronan says to her mum and completely neglects the fact of how much she loves her and how much mm. she's sacrifices of her life. Because, the honestly, it's funny how the father character almost... The roles flip in this <laughs> film between yeah. the perennial figures that often we're believed that the, the man's obviously the bread get her in the family whereas the man the male dad character in this film is confined to suffering with depression mostly staying at home and mostly being a very quiet softly spoken person he's definitely mm. not the alpha in that in that household unemployment takes a blow to the ego yeah that, so. for sure yeah it's a good point you mention that because it's like i can totally think of films that do a similar thing but it's the mother character who's dumped with the here's the depression here's the unemployment yeah. here's all this and I'm like, we tend to laugh about like, oh look, look what they did to her. Of course, yeah. like, and then now that they flipped it, now it's like, oh well, they've actually sort of changed these roles. It, it's almost not that it's been gone notice because of course we're talking about it now, but it's, it's like, oh okay, it's a bit fresh. Yeah, like it's an in- more interesting choice. I think it. I think it comes back to this is kind of why I've really grown to enjoy Gerwig's writing and her direction is 
she does it subtly too. It doesn't feel obnoxious or or like, look, I'm doing the 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 PC thing. Mm. I'm no. Instead, it's no. I'm telling a story and I'm telling it the way the story needs to be told. Mm. And this is just the byproducts of that situation. And I think between her and and ironically Bombok with like things like Marriage Story, they've found this really good balance where they see the best and the worst in every person, and they really. They're just there to tell the story and they're not there to try and make you happy or make you like root them just because society's telling you to root them and they're just keeping more to traditional story formats, but just flipping the characters Mm. in a a way that doesn't seem subtle or in your face. Well, that's the thing. It feels effortless in that way. Mm -hmm. Very subtle, very naturalistic. Yeah, I think um, the tangents come across really effortlessly because Mm. that's how you know life is for teenagers you've got an overarching issue at home and then there are ten thousand other problems at school some of them don't even affect you they just are in your Mm. life like the fact that the um the priest who was uh directing the play suffers from depression and we don't know about that until you know he goes to ladybird's mom and um she's like do you have a support network he says no you know that's why he cries in front of the kids because he's he's broken. But right. you, that doesn't affect her because it's not a part of her life. But it's still there because it just develops the the realism. I think. Well, that's, yeah, that's sorry. You can't oh, beg your pardon. That's bang on the money, though. That's what mm. I love about oh, it. Thank how, you. <laughs> how, how how we totally are just from Ladybird's point of view to the point yeah. where we only get the information that she gets. Everything else, like, there's plenty of subject discourse going on, but we don't see any of it. We solely get Ladybird's objective discourse and her viewpoints. And that's really cool because that's exactly what it's like being a teenager. Mm. You know, you impulsively act out and have a go at your mum for something that literally had nothing to do with her at all, Mm. but she's just the person in the wrong place at the wrong time and she suffers the the wrath for no reason. Pretty much, yeah. No, I think I think you're both on the money as well with that because it, it's something that she's told to her face, like, "Oh, the world's not about you. There's other things going on around you. Like, stop thinking about yourself." Because you're right, we do get those very rare glimpses mm. at uh, the people like surrounding her, and it's like, yeah, like Lucas Hedges' character. I think his name's Danny. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, Danny. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's part of his story that he has revealed to be gay, and that sort of there is that distance because it's like, well, Lady Bird doesn't necessarily understand what that means and to her at first it's oh man you cheated on me yeah and then there is that one moment where you know they hug at, mm. um outside the back of the and he breaks into tears yeah. yeah and it's like okay there's a little glimpse here of just some of the things but that it's other the people initial reaction that's exactly. good it, yeah. it comes back to things that teenagers do they don't they don't look beyond at first it's mm. very much it's an impulsive oh thing. it's impulsive and yeah. selfish yeah but it's what teenagers are it's we're we have all our shit on our plate and we th- we don't even give a shit about anyone else's yeah so you know it at least at first it takes that extra sort of step and yeah. that sort of well that's where the coming of age comes thing. in you know there you go yeah. now that <laughs> <now that, laughs> it's like we're finishing each other's sentences there you Aww. go that's cute, cute. Uh, music are very cute <laughs> yeah, no worries. You got but, anything um, else? Yeah, well, I want to... It's funny because I've had this question lined up that I think would be good to discuss uh, in regards to Greta Gerwig and specifically her relationship with Noel Bombach. I'll talk first because we've talked a bit about the naturalistic dialogue and what I've come to discover mm-hmm. is that there's sort of this unofficial subgenre that's been termed for films in the last maybe 15 to 20 years 
Okay. And it's called the Mumblecore film, and it exactly fits in what we talked about. Films where it focuses more on naturalistic performances and dialogue over plot. Uh, and, yeah, I think films like, you know, Francis Hart, definitely, but even films like Blue Jay we've done in the past, and maybe even once to an extent. I'd say so. Kind of yeah. jump into this pool where it's less plot-focused, more... Uh, of a hangout film in a way with these characters and and uh, Greta Gerwig's considered one of the sort of pioneers of this subgenre but uh with that in mind cuz Noah Bombach's definitely up there as well been involved but, yeah yeah I'd say yeah. so but I wanted to ask and even within this podcast but just in terms of the wider scope that people look at Greta Gerwig and Noah Bombach is is their relationship or basically their association uh beneficial or a hindrance to Greta Gerwig in terms of forming an individual voice as a filmmaker. Oh, that is a that is a pining question <laughs> and a half. That one. Um, I do say voice? potentially. Unfortunately, now, Perry. <laughs> um, I'll let Perry think about it while I'll take uh, the no, lead. I'll absolutely. take the hot, yeah. the hot take on this one. Um, I think it is a hindrance. I think it is okay because she suffers the same problem that every other female director has, and they're always just in the shadow of their male counterpart. Mm. Every time Greta Gerwig gets brought up now. She's always brought up with this, like, the fact that she's partners with Noah Bombok, mm. and in the sense that they do feel like they have their own worlds, and it's not as bad as something like, uh, you know, I've, there was an example that was once shared with with us that uh, who, who which which female director who did the Hurt Locker? Ah, oh, oh, I, I don't know. I need to double check this. <laughs> But there is a there is an analogy I was going to use where a mentor of us at one point in time just said that she was only a good director because she was James Cameron's ex-wife. Uh, um, oh yeah, we've we've had heard this spoken out loud. Yeah, in you know, some of the classes. That's true. Wow. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. That's it. I am inclined to one hundred percent disagree. I think James Cameron is shit next to her, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I think um, Dunk yeah, the basketball. Uh, they definitely. <laughs> They're both obviously. He's starting to definitely come into his own. I think too. Um, I don't think he's as like. I mean, we talked about the. Oh God, I'm going to get this. Uh, Merahoritz, Merahorowitz stories. Uh, we watched uh, New and Selected from my. From I think it's Maya Wits. Yeah. Maya Wits, beg my pardon. There's a Wits in there. Um, and I've watched a couple of others from him, and nothing has hit the nail on head quite like Marriage Story has. Mm. But um, with her, I've been just impressed both. Both of her directing, like both of them have been really good experiences for me. So, but yeah, I do think it is a hindrance. I think, um, unfortunately now they're now this, especially given the last Oscar seasons, how they both kind of got nominated for stuff. They both got nominated for six Oscars in their respective films and won one each. Yeah. So it's very, no, no one, no one's ego stroked in that household. (laughs) They're just becoming that sort of, but they're commonly associated as a power couple and, as I just don't think Bombok gets nearly as much of, oh, you're Greta Gerwig's. Right. It's, it's always Greta Gerwig is Noah Bombok. So it's sort of yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not a two-way street, I don't think. Not at least um, enough, I think. Um, Which is interesting because now that I think about it, Greta Gerwig's, the two films that she solo directed, it's not like Noah Bombok stars in them or helped write them or anything, but vice versa, Noah Bombok has directed a lot of films that his girlfriend is either in or helped write. Mm. Okay, Perry, oh hit us boy. with the hot take. Hit us with this. <laughs> well, I'm just going through his filmography here and I'm uh, kind of surprised because I didn't know he um, 
he co-wrote with Wes Anderson. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Life Aquatic and Fantastic Mr. Yeah, Fox. I think they went to film like school that. together. That's cute. Allegedly. Um, that's cute. Also, um, <laughs> uh, fun fact, um, co-wrote Madagascar 3. I saw that, yeah. Europe's Most Wanted. There you go. Crazy fact. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's tough when you've got, um, you know, that powerhouse, uh, powerhouse working couple that, you know, one is always going to be associated with the other, you know, like Brad and Angelina, example. Um, even though they're not even together anymore. Mm, but they still um, get asked about it every exactly. year. Exactly. <laughs> um, and same with Tim Burton and Helena Bonham Carter, you know, they're always going to be that association. I'm going to be honest, is... I didn't know that that was like, oh, what? You... They're not really together. Okay. No. But you mean them working together? Yes. Gotcha. But, gotcha. Fair enough. You know, also together, together. Oh. oh. Mm. But they're not really anymore. Oh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you, took, you took me for a roller coaster. I did. Distance. Jesus I Christ. Did. Um, yeah, no, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. No, I think the association can be helpful at times because, you know, as, as much as I hate to say it, people may not have ever heard of her if it hadn't been for him. But, mm. you know, that, that's... It's a shame that we live that we live in that we live in a society. Um, oh, Jesus <laughs> I think it just comes back to you also got to account things like marketability, having yeah. two, like you said, one each, six nominations, three each on the nominations. Mm-hmm. Like they just look like it's just now it's just marketable as they're the indie power couple, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and- no, I was um I was reading over her uh, script for Lady Bird, and. I was at first I was surprised at how well it translated to film, but then okay. I was like, no, actually, this makes perfect sense because obviously she directed it as well, so she had this vision in her head of exactly what she wanted. Right. And I'm reading the script, and it's exactly as it plays out in the film, and I was just really surprised. Like, mm. I think just the um, the dy- <laughs> the dyna- dynamic of um, writer director works so well for her. I think, um, hmm. yeah. Yeah, you definitely got to know, when you're a writer-director, you've definitely got to know, you have a specific vision, and yeah. the reason you often take up that mantle is... To maintain that control, really. Basically, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think if she can um, distance herself from him, that would be great, you know, for her future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, like like I said, like, I've watched, I just checked it, I've watched nearly just, like, half his, half his film, his mm. full filmography. Okay. Uh, over the and he's been making films since uh, ninety four. Yeah. Oh, okay. So um, he's had a, definitely he, a longer train to ride. It's so funny. He did Kicking and Screaming, which I talked about very early on in this podcast mm. from last year's film challenge, and I didn't really like it that much. Um, but yeah, he's definitely grown more into his own. I think the later films from him I've enjoyed more, but. Nothing above maybe like, you know, that sort of three, three and a half star thing. Like Marriage Story is the first time I've been like, okay, like, well, let, let, I think now he's only really starting to push he's coming into his own there. Yeah. yeah, I think they're Just both as coming. she is. Yeah, yeah, I think they're both sort of coming to their own at around the same time. So it's it, it'll be interesting to see what they both do in the next 10 years mm. if they use that sort of momentum they've built up now and yeah. see what they do with it. It'll be definitely, very definitely between um, Marriage Story and Little Women. Um, which is funny because I remember we, well, we saw Little Women together actually. We did, yes, and, at the beginning of this year. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had conflicting thoughts about the non chronological time. <laughs> no, issue. yeah, um, it was a bit of a mess. But... 
little. But um, it's interesting because like that's it goes back to me considering her. I I love her more as a filmmaker than a director necessarily, mm. because I've definitely liked her in more things she's been associated with that were not Lady Bird or uh, Little no Women. Yeah, especially considering like Frances Ha. I actually put it up there with Marriage Story. I'm actually kind of bouncing back and forth between which I like more out of oh. those two. Um, and it might be solely because, just because of her performance and the way she sort of, you know, co-wrote and mm. delivered those lines and sort of how that message goes about. Yeah. Well, like, Bombok has a bromance with Adam Driver. She definitely does. has yeah. a... A sister-mance? A sister-mance. Is, sister is that the word you would use? A gal pal. Yeah, that's all. A gal, <laughs> a gal pal <laughs> with Saoirse Ronan. Absolutely, so, yeah. I was reading the um the trivia for Lady Bird, and she said that um if it were up to her, well, it kind of is, but um <laughs> she would just have close-ups of Saoirse Ronan's face because she's so beautiful for the whole film. Oh, that's mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah. That's fair. Isn't that cute? Yeah, that's it's, what I did about so the film starring me. You've got to get Saoirse Ronan and Adam Driver in the Barbie movie. Yes. That's got to happen. Oh, that's going to happen. That even, has... even as like a cameo for well, Adam Well, they're Driver, co-writing sure. it. They're co-writing yeah, exactly. the Barbie movie. Yeah. So they're not getting away from each other anytime soon. So I like it. But um, no. But interesting comparison I made in terms of Greta Gerwig, Noel Baumbach was... The fact that we all talk about Christopher Nolan a lot more than we talk about his co-writer brother, Jonathan Nolan. So sorry for John. So I think he, he made got Westworld. The, sh- the dude yeah. made well the TV show, not the yeah. film, but he made Westworld. And he's sick. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, all the the sort of the gender politics aside of a relationship like that, mm-hmm. um, even though yeah, it would be nice to see her be more in her own. Because I agree with you, Zeke. I think mm. people sort of associate her with him more than him with her. I think it comes back but... to, at the end of the day, Christopher and Jonathan have never been called the Nolan brothers, mm. much like the Cohen brothers oh, are. The um, Duffer yeah. brothers, the Russo brothers, the Dans, yeah. exactly. So they're, they're just not marketed. They've never marketed themselves together, mm. I guess. Because they've always had that thing where they've been together a lot, but they can also be apart from each other quite easily. Like, Christopher had no hand in Westworld, but Jonathan went on to go do all that. So... Like make Westworld, I think. So I think it's sort yeah. of that they can be separate entities, but also together. But because yeah. of that, no one knows who really Jonathan is. At That's least the on thing. Mainstream so audiences. I mean, if you look at a relationship like that, and it's a little different. They're both guys. They're both brothers. But um, Greta still, even if it was sort of the short end of the stick in that regard, I think it was still a long enough stick that she does have an identity of her own. And it's good that she made these two films I think the stick hasn't been herself. defined yet. So. Yeah, it's not been defined. I mean, a stick's a stick. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Um, do we, we want to move into highlight scenes? Um, yeah, I suppose so. We can jump into highlight scenes. Cool. Perry, do you have a highlight scene? Oh, see, that's tough. Would you like us to come back to you? I would, yes. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, you. you actually brought up my, one of my favourite scenes in the film and probably my highlight scene uh, earlier on, um, and that was uh, the discovery of Lucas Hedges', Hedges uh, sexual orientation, I guess, when they find Danny. out he is, he is gay. And sort of her discovery of storming into the bathroom and then seeing that, and it's all one shot, and yeah. I just Which like... Which handheld from the girl's bathroom to the guy's bathroom. And I really like it. Yeah. It's just a, a really good, like, oh, moment. And then, like, you stick with her, and then look, the fallout from that scene I really like. And even the resolution that comes, but you, we all hit it on the head when we were talking about how it comes from that... At first, she's like, you've cheated on me, you've cheated on me, and then not... Less than I think five ten minutes later, they have that that scene where she's way more understanding and compassionate 
and that would probably be my heart scene. Nice. Yeah. I want to pick something different. Because I could have picked the opening scene or even the closing scene. But. Well, I might actually go with that closing scene. Well, for fun, I'll just give a shout out to the coach that has to teach the theatre <laughs> scene. That yeah. is brilliant. That's that so is so funny. good. We've all had one teacher that's Love come in our that. class and had no fucking clue. And then clue you all come teach. in here. You all come in. Yeah. I actually did the Tempest at high school. Oh, yeah. So that was um that was a moment for me. So you Ooh. understood all the blocking. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, so funny. Wide lines are singing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was so, like, even the first time I watched it, I was like, that's so brilliant. So funny. But um, I'll talk about the ending just because it does have that larger wide. So I went into this film, like, obviously I wanted to really like it, but again, it had all this challenge of, it's up there with, you know, Edge of 17, 8th grade, Perks Mill. There's a lot of competition. And one of my friends, uh, she actually watched and really didn't like this film. And I think what she didn't like about it was, like, oh, well, her only ambition is to go to college. There isn't really anything past that there isn't any particular thing which i think kind of bugged her which i was so i went in with that sort of expectation of oh okay there's going to be this Mm -hmm. sort of weird mishap character wise and uh watching it i was like okay it's similar to this similar to that but the first time i watched it i got to that ending when uh lady bird arrives in new york and she sort of gets away she achieves what she's going for but the way they have her come into the church where she's she's reaccepted her identity as Christine and not Ladybird. She's reaccepted the idea that she spent her whole life in a Catholic school and the first thing she does in New York is go to a church. Mm-hmm. And then intercutting with her mum driving and then her mm. driving the city. Like just that stuff and the way that scene plays kind of blew my mind. I was like, holy crap, I don't think I've ever had a film resurrect itself to me that quickly in the literally the last minute of a film. So it kind of has to be the ending for me just because yeah. of that. but um, A divine intervention. Pretty you much, you know, and, and re-watching it today, it was very much like, okay, now I knew where it was all headed to mm-hmm. um, from the get-go. And, it, you know, despite, I don't want to call it fluff, but there is a lot of fluff in this film that ultimately sort of hides the fact that this is a mother-daughter story and the relationship that they have there. Yeah. So could have been a short, but I'm glad it wasn't. Well, that's... The- <laughs> How could it have been a short? Huh? Tell, tell us how well, it Well, it could have been a short just to focus on the mother-daughter story. Yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Ah, I see. No, but I think it comes back to the way that she wanted to tell the story. And we, you know, we talked about how it's like all the things that happen in the year. Like, mm. you know, if you think back to any one of your years of high school, I'd, I admit I didn't have nearly as much going on in my last year of high school, but ah. uh, there was definitely stuff in there for sure. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's really cool. So, Perry, back to you. Sure, yeah, okay. Um, well, I'll give a, I'll give a just for fun scene as well, oh, Jake. Yeah. Fun. Um, I love the scene where she, uh, she turns 18 and she goes up to the uh, convenience uh, yeah, store yeah. and buys the cigarettes and the Playgirl and she says <laughs> to the guy, I'm buying these because I can, because it, I'm 18. We've and, all and done he's that. like, oh, well, happy birthday. <laughs> He doesn't care. No. Yeah, it turns out that was actually the um the real clerk for the store. Oh, like in real life. That's yeah, cool. isn't that cool? Um, I yeah, I I love detail. that. I love that. Um, where she's just standing outside reading the magazine and smoking. I think that's just so. That's just just such a cool scene. I love it. It's almost like um, an anticlimactic way of another thing she's worked so hard to achieve. Yeah, getting the, yeah. the permission to buy these things. Yeah, and to yeah. Be an adult. because you know she she says to her mum earlier, you know, I want to buy this magazine. I want to read it in bed. And it's like, no, that's something rich people do. And then mm. she buys porn so she can just smoke on the street. <laughs> I love that. It's like the first time I drove a car, I went straight to the Macca's drive-through. <laughs> 
And oh, wow. I didn't realize how... No, it's that idea of Zeke's bloody throwing his hands <laughs> up in the air at me. It was the idea Zeke of, like, cannot that... judge, okay? He can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> we give Jack enough shit on the show. Yeah, this is give you some. Um, no, but it's that idea of, like, that little bit of freedom you get where you're like, I yeah. can, I'm going to get myself some Maccas, Absolutely. you Absolutely, know? just because you can. Actually, the first time I... T- well, first time. When I turned 18, mm. um, a mum was like, hey, go up to the bottle Go get us, like... Some oh, and you pretend you didn't and know I was what you were like, talking about. No, 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 no. I went up there and I was like, all right, I will because I'm 18 and I can. So I went yeah. up there, got my ciders, chucked them down on the desk, and then they're like, okay, so that's $25. And I'm like, same thing happened to me. I am a baby. Card me, please. <laughs> the same thing happened to me. I got a six pack and they, they didn't just care. I want to show you my driver's license. I, I was like, oh, here's my license. And the guy like literally blinks at it. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah, like, it's not fair. <laughs> like, I go out with you guys and you guys get in instantly because you have beards. It's not fair. This is, this is hard. This is anyway, hard my life. highlight scene... Um... <laughs> <laughs> is my real life. Yeah, no. Um, I would have to say uh, probably the most, like, heartbreaking scene for me. I mean, th- this scene, has, th- this movie has so many beautiful scenes that mm. are just so, um, like, just stick in my memory. But probably the most heartbreaking for me would be when they're out celebrating her graduation and then Danny comes up and says, oh, have you heard about waitlisting? And then the mum just shuts down. And then the next scene she's washing the dishes right, and yeah. and Ladybird's just talking at her, just begging her to talk back because... She, it's, and then she just, like, she starts off, um, you know, saying, oh, it's not that bad, I won't probably get in, you know, this, that and the other. And then eventually throughout the more silence her mum gives her... It's just it. She just completely crumbles away until she's apologizing for you know being alive. You know, I'm sorry. I'm such a bad daughter. I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm so grateful. Please just talk to me. It's just it's mm. heartbreaking. You know. Could you better start crying then? I'm oh no! <laughs> First person to cry on the <laughs> cinema Sasha podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well. <laughs> Thanks. You can buy this Cry- movie. <laughs> Actually, it's okay. Lady Bird is currently out in wide release and sitting on Netflix, on Netflix Australia at least. That's the one. That's how I've seen it twice. Yeah. Yay. So get in there while it's still around. And Francis Ha and Stan as well. Jump into that. Or on uh, Netflix America. You can get Francis Ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I um, like it. Jake, what is new in cinemas this week? This is, uh, so we're in the time zone that Bond was meant to be coming out. Of course, that has been delayed. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why they did. We had a whole Bond plan, <laughs> but we might play We did that have later. a whole Bond plan, but yeah. uh, it didn't happen. It's all your fault, Perry. When it comes out eventually... <laughs> I'm kidding. It can was, we... It was not... It was the fault of a virus that's attacking the world. Oh. But so... you're in Italy right now, so don't worry about it. I am in Italy. <laughs> Um, so as a result, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I looked at a spaghetti and I infected it. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so as a result of this, there is only two notable films coming out this week. Okay. And uh, neither of them look, they don't look like the next Hitch- Hitchcockian films, but we'll, we'll give them a little bit of due process. First one is called Antlers, and it follows a young boy uh, who has a disturbing secret in a small town. Now, this is a supernatural horror directed by Scott Cooper of Black Mass fame. And co-produced by our boy Totoro. So there's nice. that. There we go. 
Yeah, we shall see. And the other one is called, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on this one, actually, mm. Perry, specifically. Yeah. All right, so Promising Young Woman, which follows a young woman. Oh, look at that. She's young in the title and in the description. She is, yes. Uh, played by <laughs> Carrie Mc, uh, Mulligan, excuse me, trying to, fi- trying to right a wrong from her past by taking revenge on predatory men by feigning intoxication and letting a nice guys take her home. Cassie turns the tables on the creeps, taking advantage of incapacitated women. Does it sound like something you would... I think, I, I think it's dope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw the that trailer, awesome. yeah. when I saw the trailer and she's like, what are you doing? No, what are you doing? I was right. like, oh, that's sick. I've seen, yeah, I've seen this trailer <laughs> as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. That's cool. I'm excited. Mo no. Burnham's in it too, which would be fun. Oh, sweet. Yeah, love that boy. Love He's that not boy. directing it though, is he? I don't think so. No. I do not have a director's name on, no, on my but, uh, sheet. I'm sorry. It should be someone to keep an eye out for. No worries. Well, mm. sadly, neither of those films are what we're watching next week on the show. But, Jake, what are we watching? Well, Zeke, figured it's fair enough. We watched my favourite film of the decade, episode 55. So I think for episode 66, it is fair enough to watch your favourite film of the decade. Next week, watching Hell or High Water. The bank loan, just enough to keep your mama poor. Thought they could swipe her land. It's a big bank. It's too big. That's what she said. Now they can foreclose on Friday. So come hell or high water, get the money to the bank on Thursday. And then you are free and clear. Toby and his brother Tanner an ex-convict, resort to robbing banks as they can't afford their mortgage payments anymore. Everything goes as planned until the police are hot on their trail. This mm. film was directed by David McKenzie, but more importantly, the screenplay is by one Taylor Sheridan, who I've been praising a lot, I think, yeah, in the last decade of film. Um, there are three films that... Uh, are a part of his, quote, American trilogy, and this is one of them. We have talked about Wind River and shorter spells on the show. A little bit. Um, we both adore that film. Yep. And uh, there's obviously Sicario, which was directed by Denise Villeneuve. Uh, very much looking forward to this. It was my favourite film of the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, As we talked about episode 50, I think it was? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, so. And of course, funny that we did your favourite on 55. 55 leads into 66. Six, so that works out kind of funny. Uh, have you seen this film, Perry? I haven't. No, I'll have to watch it. Oh, we're well, going to watch it to, to listen it. to us talk about it. It has some of the best performances of the decade by various actors, particularly Jeff Bridges and probably Ben Foster too. Okay. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to talking about this next week on the show. Uh, would love you to sneak in all three of the American trilogy. Absolutely. So just Sicario in this film. Well, this is our final pre-record i'll have plenty of time to to research for next week's show no drama exciting well thank you for joining us for the cinema sideshow podcast i was zeke i was jake i was perry and we'll catch you next week with hell or high water pew pew